Start soon. And I don't know if we're recording yet, but if it we says are so on my end, it says Mike Turpin is recording. Yep. Okay, cool. We are recording. Yep. Perfect. All right. Well, I have Rob Bernacki of Island Top Team, or maybe that noise was the noise. That was the noise to let us know we're recording. Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah, I heard yeah. it a little while ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, on my end, I just heard the noise. We are now recording, or we were recording, and you already heard me say some of this, but I am here with Rob Bernacki of Island Top Team, BJJ Concepts. He's got a lot of stuff. I think submission formula might be uh one of them we'll, we'll talk about all the things he has and you may have seen him on on different videos with uh stefan kessing i guess i'm saying his name right and anyway i found out about rob through podcasts there's a podcast called bjj mental models um it was originally the kwan brothers i think steve kwan predominantly does it now but either way the first maybe seven to 10 episodes were literally just breaking down Rob's jujitsu concept system. And I being the person that's always searching jujitsu podcast stumbled upon it fairly early. I listened to the podcast and it totally changed my perspective on jujitsu completely. I never really even knew what it meant to think conceptually too much. Some people would tell you, oh, you know, you're a conceptual thinker, whatever. But I never even really individually isolated concepts to sort of run on as a muse. And it's changed the way I tackle learning. It changes the way I tackle just how I practice anything. It changes my perspective on doing a yoga practice, a, a strength practice. And, and it's bizarre inspiration when you're willing to run on concepts. So I'll... I'll I like to spend a lot of time just really talking about conceptual thinking, conceptual application, and, and getting a good grasp on it. Because when I say I like to do BJJ concepts to people when I grapple, I'm not really sure that maybe more than 10% of them even fully understand what I mean when I say that. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Rob. And, uh, you know, if you want to know more about Rob, he's been on plenty of podcasts. I'm sure shit will come up. I'll write a good intro on him, but I'd rather just get right into talking about some meat here and, and the good juicy details. So, uh, Rob, let's talk about jujitsu concepts. I guess what, what got you into the idea of thinking conceptually? And maybe if you want to explain a little bit what, what something conceptual in jujitsu might be in juxtaposition to something else. For sure. So, uh, I mean, what got me thinking conceptually is probably just autism. <laughs> I just yeah. I, like as a um, uh, as I mean, I'm being partially jocular here, but uh, I, you know, the when I was a kid, the only way you got diagnosed with autism is if you were like counting toothpicks or like staring at trains for ten hours a day. So, like, the the, the parameters have changed a little bit. But I, my mind tends to think in systems. And how to break systems. So, like, I, I spend an probably inordinate amount of time thinking about um, categorization and what fits in what categories. And uh, certainly, after reading certain, um, I mean, I was a voracious reader as a child, uh, as a teenager, as a young adult, uh, very much uh, interested in uh, science and uh, epistemology and 
uh, I mean, basically anything that could help me understand the world and create more effective categories. And one of the things that I was exposed to um, relatively early on that was kind of, uh, was very um, sort of foundational to my way of thinking is uh, being exposed to a, um, a term of legal, but I'm sorry if this is going to go off in the weeds, but like, I um, wanted to. Okay, good. So like, there's a set of like, for example, when most people are exposed to the idea of the law, right? It's just like, something's either legal or illegal. And that's kind of a pretty, those are the, those are the categories. Um, so I was, as a, as a young person, I was exposed to a further subdivision of those, which is, uh, the Latin terms are malum prohibitum and malum in se. And what that means is something is illegal because we say it's illegal and something's illegal because it's actually wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So like, in other words, something is declared uh, illegal by, by dictum, by precept versus something that is, whether it was illegal or not, we'd be like, hey, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that, right? So like uh, the the simplest example I can give is murder versus speeding. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Murder is illegal, no matter like, or murder is immoral, no matter how you kind of slice it. Whereas speeding, uh, you know, speed limits change. Speed limits are basically taxes. They're not really like immoral inherently. It's just, it's a thing that we decide or like marijuana is actually, that's an even better example. Marijuana being illegal. That's retarded. That's an absurd law. They're they're changing now, and there's a you know a lot of inertia that uh, behind why it didn't change sooner. But that's you know these these are not things that are inherently immoral. These are things that we've decreed to be illegal. And so seeing that really helped me start to look for those kinds of distinctions in systems. And so when I was learning jujitsu. You know, like one of the first things you hear as a new jujitsu practitioner is like, never turn your back on your opponent or never cross your ankles when you're on someone's back or like never give people an underhook, like all sorts of things that were just like, well, we say this is bad. And I'm like, oh, hang on a second. Like uh, that, that, that doesn't seem quite right. And then I was exposed to Ryan Hall's work and Damian Maya's work and, and how conceptually they view things. And uh, so I started to kind of take some of that stuff and, and basically run with it and, and try to figure out what are the, the rules in jujitsu and which ones are actual rules. Like, do you know anything about um, uh, welding? Not really, no. Okay, do uh, uh, you know what an oxyacetylene torch is? Um, I mean, not specifically, but maybe. Not, not so, specifically. I mean, it, it, it's not too important, but basically there's a rule in uh, welding, which is uh, if you're using oxyacetylene, it's A before O or up you go. So like in other words, you turn the acetylene on first, then you turn the oxy. That's a rule. That's a really good rule. And if you break that rule, you'll find out real quick because you'll probably yeah. be dead. That like that was a rule that we needed. That was a rule based on the physics that govern this universe. A lot of the rules in jujitsu are not rules like that. They're things that instructors say because they're lazy and they don't want to explain nuance to their students. 
Um, some of these things are rules in jiu-jitsu based on the rules of certain tournaments that are disincentivizing certain behaviors. These are not hard facts of the like the physics of grappling. So what I was trying to figure out based on this kind of uh, understanding of what is a rule? What makes a rule? Why do we have certain rules? And like the, there's a difference between the, the physical reality of this shouldn't work because you're not generating enough force to get the job done. And this is bad because some people under some circumstances will make you pay for it, but other people won't, et cetera, et cetera. Does that make sense as a distinction between like what I would say is, is that like a concept is something I can tell you with incredible confidence that like this is going to work based on this, based on the physics of what's happening. This is how you should do these things versus I'm going to tell you not to do this because somebody once told me not to do this and some people can exploit me doing this. Uh, yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. You can think it's easy to think of ideas of rules that you can break, but I think a lot of people probably don't know the rules that you maybe the the broader rules where like the a before o or whatever it is yeah. where it's like the hard finite this is almost always the case like don't turn away from somebody in bottom side control well that that is probably not as bad of an idea as laying flat and not moving in bottom side control for the entire exactly which, of a match. which plenty of people do right and yeah. nobody ever shits on it and says that that's you know a, a bad thing to do so the, the way that I arrived at a lot of the concepts that I teach is, you know, the first, and I always credit Ryan Hall primarily, but also Damian Maya. Uh, and, you know, there are a few other uh, people that I've gone out of my way to train with and uh, have really helped build on that, that foundation. And then taking those ideas and really running with them and trying to create as many, uh, like, hard concepts that are just based on the physics of body mechanics and force generation and uh, center of gravity, things that are like things that do not change. These are constants because they are based on physics. And the fact that the those constants don't change doesn't mean that the movements in jujitsu don't change. And so that's why it's so important to have a conceptual understanding of why things work because we're dealing with human bodies and different traits and abilities and different levels of timing and skill and intellect and all that, everything's going to fall somewhere, you know, on this spectrum. Uh, like, you know, if I tell you that you need base and, you know, base is a concept, you, you need contact with a surface that allows you to generate force. If you don't have that, you know, God help you. But you can have pretty shitty base if you're 300 pounds and diesel fucking strong and still get some things done. You can have, you know, posture is another constant. It's like the, it's the integrity of your spinal column. If your spine is compromised, your entire body becomes very weak. But if your entire body is 300 pounds and you're diesel as fuck, your version of weak can still get a lot of things done. And then, you know, structure so the, the, the sort of holy trinity of concepts for me is those the base posture and structure, which create the alignment of our body. And so structure is the efficient positioning of your limbs to achieve a goal. Efficient means that if you're weak as fuck, you're going to need to be totally efficient to get the job done. But efficient also means if you're strong as fuck, 
you can be inefficient and get the job done. So even within those concepts, which are, you know, ironclad rules of physics, laws of physics type things, there's still a fair bit of room for interpretation and adjustment just based on people's uh, the, the disparity between two bodies, an insanely strong body with poor alignment might actually still be more effective than a very, very weak body with good alignment. But all things being equal, you know, eight or nine times out of 10, or maybe even, you know, 95, 98 times out of 100, if your body is not in alignment, you're going to be compromised versus someone whose body is in alignment, right? Like the, you know, a 120, 30 pound uh, grappler versus a 200 pound grappler. If the 200 pound grappler is totally out of alignment and the 130 pound grappler is in alignment, they're going to be successful. And I would argue that most of what we call jujitsu is actually really just alignment, right? Like the, 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 you know, one of the examples that I give quite often is, the armbar from the guard taught as a move, as a technique is almost non-functional. Like if you teach a white belt how to just swing their legs around someone's head and do an armbar, they know how to do an armbar, but they can't do that armbar on anybody that isn't pretty much incompetent at jujitsu and probably weaker than them, right? Like you get guys who are pretty decent at the armbar from the guard have them try that armbar on somebody who outweighs them by 50 pounds. And that move goes out the window pretty quickly. So that's what I'm trying to get people to understand is that jujitsu is not a move like the armbar from the guard. Jujitsu is a way of positioning your body to maximize the effectiveness of your body to generate force. And it's also denying your opponent the ability to position their body in a way that allows them to be powerful. That's really what jujitsu is, much more so than moves like an armbar or a triangle or a heel hook or whatever, because, because grappling is grappling, right? Like, you know, wrestling is the same thing. Wrestling is alignment. You know, sambo is alignment. Judo is alignment. So jujitsu is just alignment focused on certain parts of grappling. And I don't even really, like, as much as I am a jujitsu black belt, I'm a grappling instructor and more so I'm an alignment instructor. So I don't really teach jujitsu in the sense that most people teach jujitsu, which is I'm not trying to give people moves. I'm trying to give them movement patterns and convey to them how to make those patterns more effective and how to recognize the timing and context of when you can do the actual moves in jujitsu in a way that'll make it work on anybody. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And you do see that a lot. Somebody learns an arm bar from the guard. And if they're a beginner, they might not even fully understand what the arm bar is doing and that it actually transcends just a guard move. Or maybe they think that it's something you you always put your opponent into and you're not looking for them leaving it open. And there's so many variables that Honestly, people just kind of learn through rolling or getting advice mid-roll that could be covered in the classroom setting, that could be covered through the way it's taught. And then the big thing about conceptual thinking is like, despite the, I think people think of them as so separate, the concepts and the moves are separate, but 
when you're teaching, because I'm I'm on BJJ Concepts, I have a monthly membership to that. And when you're teaching a very specific drill, the same drill that you might do in class, you're learning why all of these things are the way they are. And you will be able to take the individual pieces out of them much more easily, or, or maybe realize what, what is most important. For instance, you know, somebody learns a knee cut, they think they need this pant grip with this lapel grip, and they don't realize, dude, you need to put your knee right there and, 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 you know, take advantage of this space on the other side of their hip in on the side of their body. That's what you need to do. And then you need to consider underhooks. You need to consider ways that maybe you won't secure it, but just getting people going for the knee cut or the arm bar when they can might be better. Or, or if they understand conceptual things, they can start to just go for these individual pieces without needing this extravagant X, Y, Z. And, and that, that's my biggest thing is I like the idea of not needing so many things to fall in, in, in alignment, so many things to, to fall in place for me to do a move I've learned. I hate yeah, I, it, I, I agree. And, and so the thing that you touched on, which is so important, I think, as to why conceptual approaches and, and thinking and training are so important is you mentioned how people eventually just kind of figure it out during rolling. So the problem with that is one, the time scale it takes to figure it out is much longer, right? Like I, I think I'm on record in some of the podcasts I've done saying that like the reason it takes 10 years to get a black belt in jujitsu is because the level of teaching in jujitsu is fucking terrible, like utterly abysmal. And, and like, I, I'm occasionally polite about it, but I mean, like, you know, I'm like, you know, some schools, I would say most schools teach in a really incompetent fashion in a way that massively draws out how long it takes to get good. But the the flip side to that is also the amount of commitment that the average practitioner has is also inadequate to gain a like a tremendous amount of skill or understanding in anything less than 10 years, especially the way that that most people do it. Um, and then you layer on top of that, the fact that you've got a huge disparity in just natural talent. So the, the people that are going to figure it out on their own in the average school that does the, and, I, and like when I say the level of teaching is shitty, let me be really specific. If you show up to your school and you're doing a warm up, for, you know, jumping jacks and running around and doing shrimp lines back and forth, and then you're doing a few random techniques and then you're rolling, you're at a school that has a extremely low level of competence in instruction. That is the, the standard in the industry. And it's just about the worst way to teach. Uh, so like, and, and again, I don't know how many schools teach that way. I'm sure in some places it's half, in some places it's 80 or 90%. It, it, it really depends on where you are and how much uh, growth has, has happened in, in pedagogy uh, in your, in, in the particular, you know, geographic location you happen to be in. But I would say, you know, again, depending on the location, at least half, if not an overwhelming majority of schools teach in something like that fashion. And so if you attend a school like that and you're trying to figure out timing and context, and again, like you said, not trying to remember 10 steps before you've got the right, uh, 
time to do a move, your odds of figuring that shit out and actually becoming like a good grappler. And when I say a good grappler, like, I mean, where you can walk into any room in the world and whatever rank you happen to be, they'll be like, yeah, that guy's about there, right? Like, you know, not to get off on a tangent about, you know, rank and sandbagging and all that bullshit, but like, if the standard is a black belt, like if a black belt is supposed to be good at jujitsu and you should be able to roll like relatively effectively against other black belts. And that's not to say that like a, a non-competition black belt is going to be able to be like, be able to tap a guy, you know, a 25 year old uh, black belt who competes at the world level. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about, can you display the movement, right? Like, you know, if I roll with, I'm I'm a I'm 46. You know, I compete in the masters divisions. I'm not trying to say that I'm all that great. But, you know, I can roll with adult division competitive black belts and sometimes I'll get a stalemate round out of it or sometimes, you know, I'll lose by a few points and sometimes I'll get submitted. But if you watch us roll, it doesn't even though like I'm going to they're going to get the better of me the vast majority of the time. If you watch us roll, it doesn't look like I don't belong. You know, I'm not getting styled on. Uh, and so, like, and I don't think I'm a really, like, great black belt when it comes to rolling. I think I'm pretty decent. But I've had people roll with me who are like, dude, you're like, you know, a top 10% kind of black belt. I'm like, yeah, but that just means that 50% of black belts shouldn't be black belts. You know, like, <laughs> if, if if you roll with another black belt and they just, like, blow through you like you're a white belt you probably shouldn't be a black belt, right? So like if you're training at a school where that happens, where, you know, like you're a black belt and, you know, like a really good purple belt comes through and just absolutely rinses you, the reason that's happening, and I know there'll be a lot of excuse making for that and there's like, well, they're a hobbyist and there's this and there's that. I think the reason that that happens is because you're training at a school where it is literally impossible, even over the course of 10 years, 15 years, whatever, it is impossible for you to develop the skill and understanding and timing and all that that you could ever be competitive with a high level black belt let alone a high or sorry a high level purple belt let alone a high level brown belt or black belt athleticism aside you're just not going to understand jiu jitsu you're not going to have the comprehension to do that stuff that somebody who is uh, you know, an elite athlete who trains all the time uh, is going to have, they're going to figure it out on their own. You're not. And the missing ingredient there is pedagogy, training methodology, conceptual thinking, and yes, athleticism. So, so there, you know, and, 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 and mat time. So there, there, are, there are five factors. So, but if we take away those first three, there are only two factors that, are making the difference between, you know, a, a regular Joe type black belt and an elite competitor black belt. So if we've taken away athleticism and mat time, those other three things should allow you to still be in the same realm. Does, does that make sense? Yes. Right. Like sense. I've got guys at my gym that are, you know, they're the definition of hobbyists. They're not full-time athletes. They're, they don't compete they're not great. They're not even good at it. It's not even full-time at like they're not full-time competitors. They, they, you know, they train a few times a week. They're pretty good at jujitsu, you know, and they're, like I said, they're, they're not great athletes. They're, they're not full-timers, 
but they understand what's going on. If they roll with a, an elite competitor, they're going to lose. Absolutely. But they're not going to get embarrassed. It's not just going to be like, oh, that guy just doesn't know what the fuck is going on. And I, like I said, you know, I've had uh, students of mine, blue belts, not full-time. Comp- I don't have any full-time competitor. Just to get that out of the way, like I don't have anybody at my gym that's like a full-time competitor athlete that's trying to do well at the world level. I don't have that. I have guys with varying degrees of intensity that they, tra- they train with. But I've had guys that are like new blue belts that have rolled with brown belts, black belts at other schools and like just gone through them like, you know, like a snotty rag, right? Like you should not be a black belt. The reason, uh, you know, a, a hobbyist blue belt is going through a black belt is because of the conceptual stuff. It's because of the training methodology. It's because they actually understand jujitsu. And then you add to the fact that this black belt shouldn't be a black belt. And that's why it happens. So the, the, the importance of conceptual understanding, training methodology, pedagogy, all that kind of stuff. If you're not going to be a full-time athlete, if you're not a just genetically lucky person who will figure it out on their own, no matter where they train, like you can be at a shitty school. And if you're a BJ Penn, a Cayotera, Marcelo Garcia, whatever, like there are guys out there that are just geniuses for human movement. Those people will be good no matter where they go because they'll just figure it out on their own. It's everyone else. It's guys like me who are shitty athletes whose bodies don't hold up well to training six days a week, you know, two sessions a day. Like, I can't do that. The only reason I can hang with people who can do that is because I've got a methodology that allows me to efficiently and deeply understand what is going on in every exchange that we have. Doesn't mean I'll win those exchanges because, again, the athleticism, the the match of the timing, all that factors in. But I know what's going on. I know why I'm losing, right? And it, it means that I lose less than I would otherwise. Sorry again for all the, the, the tangents there. But, like, that's what I think is so important about the conceptual understanding is that it allows us to get done what would otherwise not be possible in a given amount of time. It's a, um, one of the visiting students that came to me, she said, I'm like a jujitsu accelerator. Uh, and there are these, uh, you know, in the corporate world, an accelerator is someone you go to for like a crash course that lets you accelerate your understanding in a given topic. So that this conceptual methodology that we use is basically an accelerator for people who don't have the, the time or the inclination to be a full-time athlete, but they still want to get good. And then if you apply that, that accelerator method to somebody who is a full-time athlete and is going to put the time in, that's when you see, you know, like when, when you see guys who train with Danaher and they're, you know, world-level competitors in three, four years, five years, that's an example of a good conceptual approach, a good training approach, a good pedagogy, then also being applied to, you know, elite athletes. Uh, and, and so like when you put all those th- things together, that's what I mean when I say it shouldn't take 10 years to get a black belt. Exactly. You, you know, what I really love about it is I, I love explaining to people like this is that a concept typically can apply to things you already know. It's not a do this instead of that. It's not a let me show you a move that you're a white belt on instead of this move that you only do at a blue belt level. And maybe you'll just luckily hit it at a higher level. Right. So but if but if you preach efficiency, alignment, 
base, awareness of your structure, these sorts of things. If you preach that, what can it not be applied to, right? And then I sort of look at it like this. You can only juggle about three things in your short-term memory. When I'm rolling, I would rather the moves to just kind of come out of me when I can. Maybe I'll remember when I'm in half guard, I've been working a certain sweep. Maybe I'll remember that I've learned a certain mount escape, but I would rather think about things like my breathing, especially if it's a problem, my, my alignment, um, reading my opponent, trying to play with not being such a restrictive energy and move with him to go places. And these are the things that you can explore. And it, it just makes your game. But when you say amplifier, when, when you say that it literally just amplifies your game, it's like, it's like dynamic awareness and application, right? Like you can play a scale, but you add these dynamics to that scale. And now you have this sort of conceptual flavor to it. And, and that's what the concepts have done for me. I got to roll Nikki Rodriguez some, Max Geminis some. And I mean, if all I was thinking was, do your sweep, Mike, do your sweep, Mike, <laughs> yes. I would be just some other bummy killed. But because I'm able to think like, okay, really strong frames, the second he moves you know, get ready to outhand fight him at all times. I mean, just the the fact that people don't realize that anytime nothing is secure, there's always a hand fight. There's always yeah. a, a head positioning sort of battle, uh, angles. What There's always something you can fight for. And because I think that way, I get to finish a round with somebody like Nikki, and he tells me, hey, I want to get more rounds in with you before I leave. You know, yeah, totally. And I've had, you know, uh, one of my subscribers uh, had a similar experience. I think he tried, did some rounds with Muhammad Ali and it was the same thing. Uh, it's just it's weird to say did some rounds with Muhammad Ali and be thinking of the, yeah. the jujitsu guy and not. The, anyway, um, yeah. but he, he was, was the same thing. He was like, man, it really helped me get through scenarios that otherwise would not have been possible. And, you know, I know I've had that experience. People who moved to my academy have the same experience in reverse, which is like, you know, we'll have purple belts move here from another club. And they're just like, after their first week, they'll, they'll just like, they'll talk to me like, dude, I don't feel like a purple belt. I'm terrible. Like I, I I'm struggling to pass the guard of white belts, you know, four stripe white belts are passing my guard. Like what the fuck? I, I, I've been doing jujitsu for six years. I can't suck this bad. I'm like, listen, you don't. The problem is the things that you have learned are locked into a context and you're not able to bring that context out right now. Let me sit down with you and go over a few things and just, I want you to focus on those things for the next month while you're rolling and see what happens. And sure enough, within, it doesn't even usually take a month. It, it takes two, three weeks. And then all of a sudden they're competitive with you know, some of the purple belts at our academy or, you know, like the, at least the high blue belts. And they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it, it, it makes sense. It's just, they were thinking of the moves and there was never a context for them to do the moves. They know a lot of gyms focus on different move or technique sets. For instance, I, you know, in the area that I live in, the, the jujitsu is still a little bit archaic up until recently in a lot of places. So it was basically just closed guard and half guard. And if you were playing open guard and Delaheva and all that kind of stuff, people were pretty behind on that. That's changed in the last two or three years, but like certainly five, six years ago, we'd have purple belts come to our gym 
They just didn't know how to do guard retention from the open guard. They were just never taught that. And so all we had to do is show them how to high leg and how to Granby and then have them work on alignment for a couple of weeks. And they were fine. They were caught up. Right. So it's, it's stuff like that where they just focus on understanding the, the couple of things they were missing. You know, most people think you mentioned about the, uh, you know, the hand fighting. Most people think of the guard as I'm going to use this to sweep you or submit you. And a lot of places it's mostly to submit you if they're closed guard focused. And so if somebody's just trying to do submissions on someone from the guard, God damn, like that's just, it's never going to work on anyone good. But if you're just looking at the guard as primarily a distance management tool and then primarily a Kuzushi mechanism before it's anything else, and the only way you can do those things is by winning a hand fight first, if you look at the guard in that context, you only really need to know a few techniques or sweeps. And so whatever, wherever you come from, whatever gym you come from, you're going to have a few sweeps you're good at. You're going to have a few submissions you're good at. You just need to learn how to put it in the right context within the guard, and you're going to start to become effective. And so that's what happens is people come in and they're like, am I really this bad? No, you just didn't have access to your arsenal because you didn't understand what the fuck was going on. And whenever you tried to do something, you just you weren't hand fighting at all. You were just trying to do something. So we can fix, we can take grapplers who feel like they don't belong and make them pretty effective within a few weeks just by giving them this conceptual basis for what they need to be doing. Yeah, and and you know you you bring up Kazushi off balancing somebody. I think people forget to give the average person credit because you bring somebody new off the street and you show them a very complex specific sweep, they're going to have 0% chance of doing that. But if you tell them, "Hey, you've got to come up with ways of off balancing somebody." And that is the initial domino flick. If they don't get it, they might say, "Oh, can you show me some examples?" "Well, yeah, you can grab this and and when you kick that, you pull this at the exact same time and maybe you push into them and then they come forward and you you, you put this little this thing to trip them out over them, you kick at their shin, you know, and Hey, it's probably better to kick here because it's more leverage. It's, you know, this is the knee, this is the hip and you go over that. I mean, it doesn't take, but a couple conversations for them to really have not just one, not just two, but honestly an infinite ever changing ability to, to look for ways to attempt sweeps. Once I switched to concepts, I never stopped running out of ideas to explore while I roll. Absolutely. And this is where, again, the, the, the idea of, um, I call it technique collecting is such a pernicious idea. It's like you run into a problem and you solve the problem by trying to learn a new move. And I'm not saying that's never the case. Sometimes you do need to add to your uh, your your technique arsenal, but the the problem people run into the vast majority of the time is a problem of alignment. It's a problem of lack of kazushi or lack of hand fighting, and it's a problem of not understanding the idea of um, like iteration and multiplication. So what I mean by that is like, if you have one technique, you have one technique. If you have two techniques, you don't actually have two techniques, right? Because I can go like, let's say you use the jab and the cross as an example. I don't just have the jab and the cross. I have the combination 
of the jab and the cross. So that's a third technique. And then I have the combination of the cross and the jab. So that's a fourth technique. So now all of a sudden I've gone from two techniques to four techniques without ever adding any new knowledge. I just have to know that I can combine those things. So when we learn a technique in jujitsu, it's really important that we understand it from the perspective of we're going to go to do this. And when we go to do this, we can probably connect it with this other thing. And so we've gone from having two, you know, like the, from the half guard, if you are getting an underhook, that action itself is going to draw a reaction from your opponent. And then you know, usually they're going to overhook you. And then when they overhook you, you can go to the plan B sweep, right? And if they don't overhook you, you can threaten the back. And so you threaten to come up and they're going to base and you just chaining those two things, right? And especially if you now add the knee torque mechanism with which uh, Lucas Lecce is famous for. Like if you watch that guy's game, it's so fucking simple. He's basically doing two or three things. And those things are kind of Bernardo Faria saying they're like, uh, even Leandro Lowe, like, you, you, countless examples of guys that don't have an incredibly ornate game. And there are guys that do, you know, like Coyotera can do f- just about anything. Like I, I've never trained with anybody who is so proficient at so many different guards and techniques and things like that. So that's an example of a guy who's just an almost infinite arsenal. But that's not what it takes to be good. Like you can be a world-class world champion, multiple time world champion black belt with a few sequences of really basic moves that, you know, any blue belt, hell, any decent white belt is probably capable of learning and performing. So this understanding that what we're doing in jujitsu is trying to create reactions and then just plug in a one, two, one, two, three. And then if you've got three moves, you don't have three moves. You've got nine or, you know, 36. Like there's so many permutations you can start to create just by having the understanding that we're running through reactions. I do this and you do that. And then I do B or C. That's all you actually need to know. And in, in, in every scenario that you're in, that's all you really need to know. And once you just cycle through those things. It's like you said, you're not going to necessarily remember this new half guard sweep, but if you just cycle through two things and then have that new sweep be a third thing, if it's in the right context, you're going to be able to do it really easily. Right. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And so if somebody's listening to this and there's a piece of their game that they need to improve, thinking about things that can add to their game, all their already current game, instead of something that's so far from it that there's really no obvious connection. It exactly. might just it might just be you need a different setup, and it might not be a, a conscious like this is always going to set this up. But a lot of things you want something that might be from that that spot. So if so, if there's an outside in back and forth, like uh, my boxing coach calls it, like playing pong. You know, if they go one way, you do something that directs them the other way. And it's just kind of this, like the game of Pong going back and forth. And you can easily do that with, if you have a killer knee cut, why do you think you need the leg drag instead? But you might find out that 
your knee cut works really well if you start it as an X pass or you, you go one way to the other, you know, you either way, what you're saying, it only adds to the move that you already are trying to do and you already apparently know pretty well. It's your A game. Absolutely. So. And so uh, you mentioned kind of like, how did I arrive at some of this stuff? I used to play tennis. And I, if it, in, a, in an alternate universe, I'm a professional tennis player because <laughs> I started when I was like, you know, probably five or six years old and things didn't work out. Uh, you know, uh, you know I, I'm sure I, I'm one of many, many, many child athletes whose overbearing parents resulted in you know, not wanting to do this thing. Uh, but if um, you know, what you learn, you know, Pong is really just ping pong, which is really just table tennis. So it's the same idea. It's like you're, you can, you can hit the ball to try to actually just get a winner um, you know, for those people who don't know, a winner is when I hit the ball and the other person just can't hit the ball back to me versus I hit the ball to make you run to one side and then you hit the ball back at me and I hit the ball again to get you run to the opposite side. And now I'm making you tired. And then eventually I'll create what's called a forced error, which is I make you fuck up and hit the ball into the net or, you know, outside the lines because you just can't get it there in time to hit a clean shot. Right. So that's so much of what we're doing in jujitsu is basically tennis. It's I'm trying to get you to move in a way that makes the inevitable, like that makes my victory inevitable. Whether that victory is a, a winner, which is like I just I hit you with a submission and you, you're done. Oh, or I get you to make a mistake that you wouldn't have otherwise made that gets me to the next position, that gets me to that's all cool. What we want to minimize, and this is where, again, the conceptual understanding comes in, an unforced error in tennis is when I'm not putting pressure on you. I'm not hitting the ball to extreme angles and having you have to run. It's just you try to smoke the ball super hard and you just put it into the net for no reason at all. The amount of unforced errors that occur in jiu-jitsu at even a relatively high level uh, but certainly at the beginner, you know, white belt, blue belt, uh, you know, even at most gyms, purple belt, it's, it's almost constant. It's a like beginners. I always tell people beginners constantly break their own alignment. Intermediate people break their alignment. Some of the time advanced people break it rarely and experts break it almost never. And so what I'm trying to get people to do is if you know about alignment and you know that you shouldn't break it, Let's try to get you to that point where you never willingly break it, which is an expert quality. And it's only one expert quality, you know, other expert qualities, things like timing and just breadth of knowledge. That'll take you a lot of time to get to. But we can get you fairly early to the idea that you never break your goddamn alignment. And if you don't, you, people are not going to get unforced errors out of you. They'll get forced errors. Like, you know, if I'm rolling with a white belt, even if they're rock solid in trying to keep their alignment, I can make them break their alignment because I'm better at jujitsu than they are. But it's a forced error. I'm making them do that. I just don't want them to make unforced errors. And that, that's how we're uh, utilizing this, you know, the, for, if we take it back to like the half guard or the, the, the kazushi or the setups is – what you want to focus on when you're running into a problem and it seems intractable, it's don't learn something unconnected. 
the thing that's probably going to be the most helpful to you is learn a new method of Kazushi, a new angle of creating Kazushi, or a new way of connecting a hand fighting movement with a Kazushi movement with a posture break. So you're not just going one, two. So like most people from the guard can be helped. Like we, if we want to really open up your game, if you're somebody who is just going hand fighting legs, hand fighting legs, now go hand fighting legs, head, hand fighting legs, head, head, hand fight. Like you've opened up the potential uh, offense immensely. It's not just adding one more thing. It's adding a whole bunch of stuff that would have just never been possible before. And now that thing that you were trying to do before will all of a sudden work again. So that sweep that you were trying to get to where you were trying to get to the legs, but the other person was just too good at hand fighting and denying you their legs. Now all of a sudden you go for their head and you'll either get, you know, maybe you'll get a guillotine, maybe you'll get a snap down or a loop choke if we're talking gi. And then their reaction to that will now give you back all of those things that you were not able to do before. And so you've created that forced error, whereas before you were relying on an unforced error. You were relying on somebody to just give you an underhook and get you to a position that you needed to be offensive. Yeah, no, that that makes total sense. I mean, uh, and as you get better at it, as you get better at thinking conceptually like that, next thing you know, you won't just be throwing jab, cross, jab, cross, cross. You'll throw jab, cross, jab, cross. You'll make it look like you're throwing a jab. Maybe you threw the first two crosses up at their forehead, so their hands are going to come up. Now you sneak one with like a lower trajectory. There's so many ways you can just start to explore. Exactly. Literally having jab, cross makes, you know, when I said it was four moves, that that was a very – rudimentary explanation it's way more than that if we start to create combinations you know it's double jab cross you know uh, jab yeah. high cross to the ball it's it, you know the the possibilities are almost endless i'm sure there's mathematically there's a limit to it but you know it, it you don't realize how deep you can go with just a couple of movements as far as drawing reactions uh and creating openings uh, and and leading your opponent and if that's the stuff you focus on, you're going to be good. You're going to be effective. You don't need to know a thousand techniques. Yeah, and and there honestly, it might be infinite because the way dynamics work, you could go soft, soft, aggressive. You could go. There's yes. so many ways yeah. to change variety to just a couple things. I want to I want to dive a little deeper into alignment. I'll kind of just my general understanding as far as coming from a strength and conditioning background. It makes a lot of sense to think of my head, my chest, my hips all kind of face you um, and they maybe move in unison. If you're thinking just like how base you can see it is how it relates to you specifically and the floor, you also see how it relates to your opponent. So the way I think of alignment is not just considering my own alignment, which would be that I'm probably going to be weaker at picking up an object if I'm trying to look as far behind my shoulder as I can right? That's going to make me weaker at picking up an object. Um, It's going to make me weaker probably, probably to do things like not center to the weight. It's going to make it uh, weaker to um, not have weight in a, in a good position, a clean path from, you know, if the, if the leverages are against my, my 
alignment to it and how it aligns to a specific joint, it's going to have more leverage on me. So I kind of- Yeah, what you're describing is called a moment arm in physics. So you're trying to avoid people creating moment arms on you and you're trying to create moment arms on them. Yeah. So, and, and when you think about all that, when you think about the alignment, and this is the thing that some people don't fully understand is that it, it works both ways, right? And that's, what's cool about a concept. If, if you know that you should never let both shoulders and both hips on the mat at one time in side control, even though it never is not the best, right? But, but if you know, that's a concept that you've heard thrown out there, oh, flat is a good time to pass all these things revolving yeah. around the idea of somebody getting flat you not only know that from bottom, you know that from top. And similarly with alignment, you now know that the more you're using your grip fighting to make your opponent's alignment worse in whatever way, whether it's just kind of torquing and ratchet controlling at the, at the wrist and making their, if you internally rotate somebody's arm, they're going to feel weaker. If you control their head, they're going to feel weaker. It might even be just tap their head every time they come at you instead of trying to bully them and giving them a direction just move it every time they try to move redirect their head as a deflection right yes. change their path there's so many ways you can take it but go what what do you think of when you think of like alignment what what kind of is going on i know it goes into subcategories but what do, what do you what's going on yeah for sure so i mean the the i think it, when we talk about alignment it's important to um, to also talk about the adjunct, uh, concept, which is the idea of frames, levers, and wedges. So the, you know, when I introduce people to our program, whether they're, you know, coming to me as a you know, brand new student who's never done jujitsu before, or somebody who's moving to my club, who just isn't familiar with our concepts, I'll sit them down and just talk them through, you know, what is alignment? Alignment is base, which is a platform from which to apply and absorb force. It's relative to your opponent and it's relative to your goals. And we talk about posture, which is the integrity of your spinal column. And we'll talk about structure, which is the efficient positioning of your limbs. And then those three things together create our alignment. And how we affect alignment is via the use of frames and levers and wedges. So we usually don't focus on wedges too much at the beginning because that's a little bit more advanced in its application. But uh, it's pretty simple for people to just think of their limbs as it's either a frame or a lever. So it's either structurally supporting weight or it's being manipulated in a way that transmits more force into an object than direct application of force, right? So it's like if you're trying to move a heavy object, it's harder for you to pick it up than it is for you to use a, a crowbar or a, you know, a dolly or something to move it around. So if we're utilizing a, a lever uh, to control somebody that's going to be more mechanically efficient. So what we're looking at when we talk about alignment and then frames and levers is we're playing a game where we use uh, frames and levers. We change frames into levers, right? So like if I'm framing you with my arm and you change the angle so that my arm becomes a lever, that's changing a frame into a lever and vice versa. You know, if you're controlling my wrist and denying me contact with the ground, if I then change to put my elbow on the ground, I change my arm from a lever into a frame. So we're trying to change frames into levers, change levers into frames, and we're trying to deny our opponent access to levers or frames. And that's the, the how we affect the why of alignment. We want you to have weak alignment. Why? Because you're weak. <laughs> when you have weak alignment, 
and the how is we're going to use these limbs and we're going to play these games of hand fighting, of pummeling, of just positioning our limbs and how we make sure that our shoulders not internally rotated too much or it, you know, sometimes we want slight external or like just ways of positioning your limbs where they're going to be as maximally effective as frames or in uh, or on your opponent as levers. And we use this phrase in our school a lot, which is uh, what's the score? So base posture structure add up to three. How I'm thinking is, do I have three and do you have three? If we both have three, then uh, I got to do something to your alignment before I can do anything. Like I don't worry about passing your guard or doing it. I worry about getting you to two. And then if I get you to two, there are certain things that become possible. Submissions are usually not one of those things. If I get you to one, then submissions start to become quite possible. Certain submissions. And if I get you to zero, then I can do whatever the fuck I want to you. Right? And that's really how I'm viewing alignment. Is there's a, I'm constantly thinking, like, the better my opponent is, the more narrow my thinking becomes in terms of concepts and the less broad it becomes in terms of techniques. If I'm rolling with, you know, if I go down to California and I'm doing uh, some training with Coyotera, who's, who's my coach, if I'm rolling with Coyotera, you can be goddamn sure I'm not at all thinking of, I want to do this move to him. Because anytime I've done that, I've gotten badly fucked up. And anytime I've like survived rounds, you know, gotten a stalemate round. And, and by the way, like when I say stalemate round, that's me going at 80% and him going at 40 or 50% because he doesn't need to try. So I'm not trying to like say that I'm like in any way like on even playing field with Kayo. Um, but like anytime I've managed to kind of just neutralize what he's trying to do, it's because all I'm thinking of is do I have frames? Is he trying to get a lever? Don't let, don't let him get a lever. Try to get a lever on him. Oh, big surprise. He prevented me from doing it. Okay, try again. And that's it. That's all I'm thinking of. If I try to go beyond that, because he's better at jujitsu than I am, if I start trying to do shit, I'm going to make an unforced error. I'm going to extend one of my limbs and give him a lever. I'm going to create a... Uh, a shift in my center of gravity and my momentum that gives him the ability to redirect me. And then he's going to exploit that really well. So that's like the better my opponent is, the less I'm thinking about anything other than literally frames, levers, wedges. Where's my center of gravity? Where's my base? Where's my posture? Where's my structure? I'm only thinking of those foundational concepts. So if I'm rolling with someone that's better than me, by using those concepts, I may be able to get a stalemate. If I'm rolling with somebody who's in, you know, you know, a little bit closer to me in skill, you know, like if I'm competing, I, you know, I'm at the point now where in the master's division, like, and again, like I, I don't say any of this to like pat myself on the back. It's just like the reality of where I'm at. And, and hopefully people can, uh, you know, kind of see how this applies. Like when I'm competing in a, you know, the last Nogi Worlds I did, I got bronze but I got bronze because I got a zero zero refs decision against the multiple time champion in the division. So like when I say, I feel like I'm at that level, that's what I mean. I'm not trying to say that like, I'm definitely, you know, like the, the best or anything, but like, you know, I got a, a round or a match with somebody where 
they weren't able to do anything to me. And, and I conversely wasn't able to do anything to them. But the level at which I was thinking about it wasn't just let me make frames and control levers. I was able to expand my thinking and be like, okay, I'm trying to get this move to happen. I'm, I'm trying to create the context for this. You know, I'm, I'm trying to lead him into this trap. And, you know, I got close a couple of times, you know, not quite enough, but that's the difference between like, you know, if I'm rolling with somebody who I think is, you know, about at my level, or maybe I think I'm a little better than they are. And then versus if I'm rolling with somebody who's just like, you know, a regular black belt who doesn't compete, then I'm like, okay, no, I'm, I'm going to try to like do this move on them and I'm going to be able to do it. I'm going to be able to lead them to here and definitely do this technique, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's kind of how the, the focus focus the the my focus can narrow or expand based on what i feel is available to me with whoever i'm happen to be rolling with or competing against yeah and that that's important it's it is so relative to your opponent and yes that's, that's not the way things are often taught and that makes people feel like oh going against a larger opponent if you're not if you're not able to think conceptually you might not be able to strategize well and realize what tools are going to work best given the the disparity between you and them right so if you take somebody that only knows how to jab on the i know i'm relaying it to boxing because it's just so okay. simple but yep. if they if they're used to finding their distance with a jab if they're against a longer guy, that might be really tough. They might want to just close the distance fully or stay completely out of distance or or whatever. Close the distance with something short enough where you're not at the end range of something that's going to thwap them. And the fact that it still gets tossed around, that reach is distinctly an advantage. It still gets tossed around, that weight is distinctly an advantage. But there are advantages about being shorter. There are advantages about weighing less. And that is yeah. something that you you have this at your dispense. But if you're so narrow that you think it's so definitive that the heavier guy should beat you and the longer person should beat you, which is not anybody who watches boxing knows that reach the, Oh my God, he doesn't want to stay on the feet with him. The commentators, they're like, that guy's got two inches longer reach. How's he going to box him? Because <laughs> I, what that's not, that's not the result. That's not the result that continues to happen. And similarly, if you can think conceptually and you can understand th something as simple as, hey, this guy is bigger and stronger than you. Why don't you try moving around him and not get in a, a bullhead match? Just that alone can yeah. give you ideas, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's why it's so important that like, you know, when we talk about um, like part, part of the conceptual understanding, and this might be uh, something that we devote you know another um another episode to if we get too into the weeds but when we talk about traits uh so you're you're describing length you're describing weight um you know explosiveness is a trait uh, flexibility is a trait uh and you know somebody can be short but still slender and somebody could be tall but quite stocky and the the amount of um options available to you based on that is going to change. And, you know, if we're teaching moves to people and, you know, if you've got a, your, you know, the head instructor at your Academy is six foot two and weighs 180 pounds, they're going to have a certain body type. And if you don't, uh, you know, this is speaking more to like 
instructors rather than to, to students, although it's still certainly going to apply in, in your own learning process. But like as an instructor, if your only way of understanding how to teach stuff is, well, I do this and therefore it works, you know, you're going to be teaching spider guard and triangles to some poor dwarf who just has like no chance at playing that game. Uh, and then, I mean, I would say within reason, most games in jujitsu can be played by most people. So I'm not trying to say that short people can't play spider guard or do triangles. It's just at a certain point, if you don't understand what is making this work from a conceptual basis, you're going to just be trying to teach moves to people who have, and it's not that they can't do them. It's just that they have a, a lower likelihood of doing them and your ability to uh, enhance your students' experience and give them the best coaching uh, and tailor the instruction to them. It's going to be so limited because you only understand this from a moves perspective. So the degree to which conceptual thinking has an influence on uh, body type in jujitsu and how you can attack differently as you're, so you're, you're talking about it mostly from the perspective of attacking differently, but teaching differently and conveying information differently and giving people the tools to understand how they need to attack different body types differently, different types of fighters differently. That all comes from understanding it conceptually. Uh, so yeah, without that, you're going to be really poor as a, as a combat athlete, and you're going to be really poor as a, as a coach of a combat athlete in creating strategies for a fighter who needs to face, you know, fighter X who has certain attributes, whether it's reach, whether it's weight advantage, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, something I definitely want to talk about cover is just going a little deep on efficiency and I'll kind of, this is another way I kind of see some of these concepts as I've thought more about them is there's something that unifies the people at the top of everything, right? In in music, it might be they all are fairly confident in a way, like, you know, or that, that might not be the best example, right? But efficiency of energy is going to be one. When you watch people at the highest level, they're not grimacing and wasting energy left and right. They're not holding their breath left and right. And when I tell new people, I say, hey, man, you've got to get better about your breathing. You have got to stop holding your breath. And they're, they're like, oh, I know, I know, I know. And I'm like, no, but you <laughs> need to focus on it. You actually need to focus on it. And I, I have developed like my own sort of things that I like to tell myself, hey, good technique feels like nothing. And yes. I don't know that there's a single time that that is wrong. Anything you feel, any lean, any excessive, whatever your energy, everything should just feel like one whole unit, whether you're putting all of your weight in one spot or not, or on, when people are walking on their hands, they don't feel a tremendous amount of pressure in their arms, right? They, they, yes. it feels easy and high level technique always feels like nothing and not i mean it's it's at least a hell of a goal right and that that aligns well with energy efficiency so your breath is is a good factor in there and here's something that people don't consider a whole lot is you talk about training a lot well i roll about as much as everybody i do landscaping i do strength training i go to a yoga studio i am as active as it gets but I prioritize efficiency as my number, balance, efficiency, breath. These are the principles I live on. So yeah. I get injured less. Why? Because I am 
efficient. If you're efficient, you inevitably have to have good alignment, right? Yes. Because broken alignment is, is inefficient. So to me, I see everything. And when people talk about things like balance, that is a factor with efficiency. See, a lot of these things actually swallow the other ones. A Absolutely. Lot of alignment kind of swallows some of the other concepts, but then some of the other concepts swallow alignment as well. You can't, you can't break alignment and be efficient unless you start going in another direction immediately and use that alignment for something else. You That's know. right. So yeah, absolutely. No, it, one of the things that I try to convey to beginners is if it feels like it's hard to do, or if you feel weak, you're doing it wrong. You know, like if, if there's ever a movement that you're doing and it just feels like a struggle, you're doing it wrong. Now that doesn't mean there's no struggle ever. Like I don't care how good you get at mount escapes. It's going to be a bit of a struggle to move a human body that's on top of you. So I'm not saying zero struggle, but you know, when you say it feels like nothing, the moment where you actually like get someone's weight onto your frames and move out from underneath them and escape them out, that should still feel fairly easy. It's just the preparatory work of getting to that moment. That's always going to be a struggle. Like I don't, again, I don't care how good you are. If you're mounted by someone else who's good, it's going to be more effort to get out than just you know, snapping your fingers type of shit. You know, it's one of the things that drives me crazy in jujitsu is when instructors are like, oh, escaping, whatever, that's easy. Well, yeah, dude, it's easy for you because you're a black belt doing it on a white belt. It, you know, like it, it's never easy to escape bad positions because if you got put in a bad position, it means your alignment got broken. It means you made some errors, forced or unforced. It means someone got you into a compromised position. If it was easy to escape things like that, jujitsu wouldn't really work. Right. Like obviously, if you let someone get there because you're just better than they are and you're styling on them, then yes, it's easy. I'm not like, you know, certain contexts, contexts, it is easy to escape bad positions. But all things being equal, if somebody, you know, passes your guard and gets to side control and gets to knee ride and then mounts you because they're better than you, it's not going to be, you might still get out, but it's not going to be easy. Right. And, and these are things that, that if you're looking to improve a, a drill or how could I get better at this drill, I mean, as a big guy standing passing, I think that's one, the coordination and the efficiency in a standing pass. Well, shit, if you can't even do that drill without getting tired after 10 reps, that's not yeah. going to be a move you want to go for. And you're going to think it's just not for you. So, so drilling for efficiency, drilling for these sorts of imp implementing the the concepts into the the work is just so game changing and but I really go back to if it, when you look at the highest level and that is a good way to reverse engineer your concepts and principles right for sure what does everybody at the highest level do well they don't all do this one pass they don't all do this one submission they may all have a good submission at a high level they may all have a pass or two they may all change certain things right they 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 definitely are all doing something you mentioned earlier how frequently a black belt loses his alignment more than likely if they lose it it's because their opponent misaligns them you know so Bingo, yep. th that's when it happens really at, at high purple belt and up for the most part i would imagine it's just how good you are at either using it to your advantage when it happens or um just how good you are at avoiding it being you know happening to you but 
I mean, when you look at the highest level, the efficiency of even your powerhouse people, the, their ability to know that I'm exploding. And then I like to use volume zero, volume 10. If I'm going to explode, it's as quickly as I can get back to a volume zero that I can, a baseline, almost like a karate blitz. You go yep. back to that. Why am I staying at volume six habitually? Why can't I settle into this pin more and not waste so much damned energy? Yes. And so what you're describing is actually tempo changes. So uh, yeah, that's a term. Uh, I, I mean, it's a music term. Right. It's a term that is used quite a bit in striking. It's not used very much in grappling. And it, depending on how much movement-based grappling you use, and when I say move, obviously all grappling is movement, but like, you know, when I say movement-based, you know, as an example, uh, Hoffa Mendez, that's a movement-based grappler. You know, versus you know Murillo Santana, who's just smearing you into the mat with incremental. Uh, you know, he is moving, but he's moving a hell of a lot less in any given amount of time than someone like Alpha Mendes. So, like, if you're really movement based and you're trying to, uh, you know, kind of overwhelm people with speed, if you're at a ten all the time, if you don't overwhelm the other person in the first thirty seconds. You're gonna gas. You're you're, you're absolutely gonna blow your wad. So the the idea of tempo changes and moving at a two and then all of a sudden going to a four and then back to two and then the other person gets used to you moving between a two and a four and then all of a sudden you go from a two to an eight. That tempo change is going to catch them off guard. So it's not just the efficiency of your own you know cardiovascular or metabolic conditioning that is going to be affected by this kind of tempo change it's when you understand these these changes in intensity in speed and explosiveness if you're in control of those things and you're aware of them and you can lull your opponent into certain rhythms and then you decide when those rhythms change and then at the really advanced level you get the other person to kind of like you you figure out their rhythm and you know how to break it you know when they're going from a two to a four and you time them and you go to an eight instead et cetera, et cetera. Like, I mean, you know, we, the, the degree of uh, growth that is possible when you start to understand these concepts, you know, like the, the virtuoso level at which someone like Hoffa Mendez is playing with tempo and rhythm and efficiency and alignment and all these different things, you know, like that's a level, you know, a guy like me or you, we, we can't, I mean, we can aspire to it. But, you know, if, if I had two or three lifetimes, I'm not going to be doing what Hoffa Mendes can do, right? But because we have uh, an understanding of it, we can achieve glimpses or, you know, moments of greatness like that. You know, there are times where I'll do a movement that I've seen Hoffa Mendes do and I will just slide through someone's guard where it's like you described, it's effortless. There's nothing there. Like there was a guard there and then there wasn't and I just dropped into you know like almost like falling through a cloud and it like when that happens in jujitsu that's when i feel the most uh you know and not that i'm a like a religious person anyway but that's the, almost like, like a connection to the divine or i would say then let's use the word numinous rather than divine where it feels ethereal where it feels that i've achieved perfection in a moment which is what we're kind of shooting for with any practice is we want that moment of perfection. Not that we'll ever achieve a constant perfection, but we can achieve moments of perfection. And when we understand these concepts, 
there will be a time where you will achieve a moment of perfection against a good grappler, against a skilled grappler where they're doing their best and you find that that little slip of time where you just drop through all of their defenses and you pass their guard in a way, whether it's movement-based or pressure-based. Like I've been working a lot on tripod passing over the last little while just due to injuries, focusing on different things. And when I just kind of feel someone's frames and uh, and and just their 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 guard structure just kind of melt out of the way, and I just fall into the mount from the guard. I mean, that's a the feeling that you get from that. I mean, it's it's, it's goosebumps, right? So that that's what we're trying to 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 give people is to have that level of understanding, whether it's with alignment or with momentum and center of gravity or with tempo that gives you know us regular non-god tier grapplers an ability to you know glimpse or touch uh the divine in jujitsu yeah sorry if that went a little no too, you know it's perfect fairy it's perfect because i could I, i'd like to give an example where it's like for instance let's say you're passing somebody's guard it's going smoothly you feel quote unquote nothing and you run into a frame someone might say hey well yeah see that's going to happen so this whole it feels like nothing bullshit doesn't add up but then again well what are you going to do about that frame are you going to blade well why didn't you blade immediately perfect would be the second the frame is there exactly and you you blade and you continue to feel absolutely nothing and that's the human flaw that that you're going to feel things but if you're able to search for that within you it will clean up a lot of these uh you know inefficiencies and one that you hear sometimes, I don't know if you've said this or, or where I heard this initially, but you have two grapplers and a good litmus test of who is doing better at the current moment is whose energy is being used at a higher level. Yes. If points are off the table and, and you're not in the process of being submitted, just because I'm on top doesn't necessarily make it better for me as long as if I'm the one whose energy is draining quicker and for some reason I'm pushing into you and I'm putting in all this effort and your health bar is you're winning. You're winning yeah. the current moment. And yeah. it's, it's inarguable. Oh, absolutely. The, the, the amount of time that I spend with beginners on this is like, I, I always say half my job is teaching jujitsu and the other half of my job is teaching people how to learn jujitsu. Mm-hmm. And you know, most adults are abysmal at learning. Like, like if you've, if you've been outside of any sort of academic environment for any amount of time, your ability to adopt new information, it starts to go away. Everything is a skill. And, you know, learning is a skill. So if you're not cultivating the skill of learning, you know, most adults, especially learning a, a physical skill, you know, in this day and age, most people, uh, for the most part, are working with computers or, you know, something that's not as physical, you know, and when I say most people, I don't mean 80%, but like, you know, the longer we go on as a species and we're doing fewer and fewer physical tasks as our jobs. And so you got a lot of people who have not tried to learn a physical skill since they were in high school or even sometimes elementary school. Uh, you know, if not too many people go to college and are learning, you know, unless they're like on an athletic scholarship, they're not learning anything physical necessarily. So for most adults, it's been 
anywhere from you know five to ten years since they started to since they really put any time into learning a physical skill so they fucking suck at it and with jujitsu because it's you know fighting it's that extra layer of like now it's a physical skill and it's a skill where another human being is dominating me so the amount of layers we have to peel away from them to get them to stop just going and just trying as physically hard as possible in every moment is it's an immense task and so you know like uh, yeah, I, i'll roll with people and at the end of the round the one of the and sometimes during the round but definitely at the end of the, if i'm really trying to make my point I'm like at the end of the round i'll be like what's your like pay attention listen like listen to yourself listen to your breathing they're like <gasps> and i'm like okay and now listen to my breathing and i'm sitting there and I'm literally barely having to breathe. Like, why do you think that's happening? Like, did I use a whole bunch of like crazy moves on you? Did I do like any, like almost anything that you would recognize as, you know, jujitsu that like you don't know? No, nah, man. I just kind of framed like I did this, like you're fucking exhausted and nothing happened. You know, because during that role, I'm not, submitting them a bunch of times they're not moving a whole bunch it's they're very little is actually happening in the round you know or you know sometimes when i'm trying to get through to the thick skull of one of my purple belts who's deciding that this is the round where i'm gonna get rob and i'm like so dude that round just ended and like i was at a two the whole round and they were at a nine the whole round and, you know, I, I, it's not like I fucked them up. I, I maybe, you know, I probably passed their guard and took their back. And then I, you know, I tried to hand fight with them a little bit. Yeah, whatever. They wanted to fight real half. Ah, fuck it. You know, let them turn. And like, so it's not like I'm dominating them, but I want them to get the point that like, yeah, like I, I, I scored on you a couple of times, but like, look how exhausted you are. And look at the fact that I'm not breathing hard. That's what I beat you with. I didn't throw like, cause obviously if I throw like a hard pace and really try to like kill them with technique, you know, I'll beat them, but then we'll both be tired. You know, then at yeah. the end of that round, yeah, I caught you a couple times, but at the end of the round, I'm laying on the mat, breathing super hard and you're laying on the mat, breathing super hard. So you still think that I beat you with this overwhelming technical skill that I have compared to yours. That's not, and there are times where that needs to be done, but for the most part, I'm really trying to get you to this idea that like, Hey man, I wasn't trying that fucking hard and I still beat you and you tried really hard and you didn't get where you needed to get to. And that is, like you said, it's the, the efficiency and knowing when to apply overwhelming force and, and trying to beat them with tempo and all that kind of, there's a time for that. But for the most part, you shouldn't be trying that hard. You know, if, if we're not in a scenario where I'm in deep shit, I shouldn't be trying that hard. And if I'm trying to beat you with just like physicality and overwhelming pace, unless I'm really confident that I've got like next level conditioning and you don't, I'm taking a big gamble. You know, if, if I'm just trying to beat you with conditioning, uh, that's a that's a pretty big dice roll uh and 
if I'm just beating you with efficiency, where I'm just using the best jujitsu I know how to use, you know, I mean, that's, that's really, again, like you said, that's the goal. The goal is to be as, I don't want to say conservative because conservative can have like a bad connotation where you're, you're not right. really trying to, but when I say conservative, I just mean we're like, I'm conservative with my energy. I'm not expending unnecessary cardiovascular metabolic, uh, you know, points. I'm not trying to just go as hard as I can. I'm still always moving forward. I'm always trying to find the, uh, you know, force errors. I'm trying to recognize unforced errors. I'm playing with your alignment. I'm constantly doing that, but I'm trying to do it in a way that's as metabolically efficient as possible. And that's just such a huge part of jujitsu. It's like, you don't, I, I will tell my students, uh, your goal in this next session of rolling, whether you do three, four, five, six, seven, eight rounds is I don't want you to be exhausted at the end of any of those rounds. You, you, you can get to a point where you're tired during the round, but if you're tired at the end of the round, you failed. The goal is not to get whatever, you know, submission or sweep or whatever during the round. The goal is at the end of every round, you better not be breathing hard. And obviously I, I can't tell that to a white belt who's about to roll with a bunch of purple belts. Like, I, you know, I'm reasonable about it, but like with certain students at certain times, your goal is to not be tired at the end of any round. Yeah. No, and, and you're right. It's not it's not specifically be reserved. It's it's be in control of the energy you're putting out. And that's why I like using volume zero and volume 10 as examples, because if you understand your baseline and you understand your your maximum and you and you know those things well, you can be in control of that said dynamic. So if you know the the yin and the yang of something, chances are you can you can control it better. What's really crazy is so you mentioned breathing and you mentioned the way that you were breathing. This gives me an ability to, because I am aware of this from jujitsu and because I'm aware of these conceptual things, I can go into a yoga practice and I can think for the entire 90 minutes, screw the moves, right? Screw the moves. Says an arbitrary downward dog isn't my life, but you know, it is the ability to breathe the, the most gentlest, calmest, however you want to say it. And then also have powerful breathing, be able to breathe through my mouth. Well, through my nose, well, just be familiar and be in control and choose the awareness. You know, all of these come into play. And I think that, that jujitsu is so at the beginning stages because people, they practice it some, it, it, like there are not many people out there exploring this kind of stuff, even at the highest level in the sport. And then they don't implement the concepts to the outside training. So what I think is, I think you should have strength and conditioning. You should have yogic style practices that are based off of the concepts of your sport and channel those things and familiarize yourself with the important things like balance and, and alignment and all of that and implement it into a strength lift, implement it into an endurance sort of activity. Like, like, and, and this is a good example. Like you could take running and rolling and it, you could say, all right, running is going to be a good lesson in efficiency because if you ever run so fast that you need to start walking, you fucked up. You're running. Yeah. Runners run. They don't walk. Okay. And jujitsu athletes roll. They don't stop. They, they are always working and they're always moving. And it's very rare that they completely stop 
unless it's to take advantage of, I mean, it's for the most part, you should always be able to move in around. And that to me, like you can train for these sorts of things and, and you bring up being in shape and conditioning. Somebody who comes out there that's a CrossFitter, and you've seen this a million times, CrossFitters are in better shape than us, but they think they need to train to pure exhaustion and that's how you win. Yeah, they they get they redline. So basically, you're against an opponent that's able to make the weight heavier out of nowhere or make the speed faster out of nowhere. So I let you get to your 80 to 90% exertion, then I push you over the edge. I'll yeah. beat that 90% of the time unless you are just a total freak. Every yeah. once in a while, you meet that freak that seems to know how to have that kinetic energy where they, their arms don't get tired. They don't get totally out of breath. They're one solid unit. They're the perfect athlete and they can just keep a pace that's hard to break. But I'm sure the better you get, the the, the blackest of black belts could yep. probably do things that makes that, that person tired and use that against them. So conditioning as a strength and conditioning coach, it's such a backwards thing to train your ability to exhaust yourself. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, don't get me started on CrossFit because we can have a you know, yeah, uh, you know, a shitting on uh, on that kind of uh, festival here. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there, there a lot of stuff that's a lot of methodologies that are not very intelligently designed, and I think the jujitsu world is kind of rife with that. We're, we're in the infancy of jujitsu as a sport, as a I mean, it's it's barely a legitimate sport at this point. It has a long way to go. Uh, to create that. Um, and it's barely a professional sport at this point, And it has a long way to go to create that. Uh, and advancements in, like you said, in strength and conditioning and just, just understanding what the different aspects of it uh, people can focus on to, to maximize their effectiveness as competitive athletes. That, that's an area that has, it's not well exploited. And, and, you know, given enough time in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, hopefully we'll see more money come into the sport, which creates more resources for the, you know, exploiting the kind of things that you're talking about. And we'll see, you know, just create like the, the jujitsu athletes in a decade. I mean, you, you can, you can already see it. If you look at what jujitsu athletes look like 10 years ago versus what they looked like 20 years ago, the, the skill level on display at the, uh, you know, at the world championships, at the black belt division, it's a whole other league than it was yeah. back then. So, yeah. There, there's two things I definitely want to mention before we wrap up. Uh, the first thing is if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm just not a conceptual thinker. Well, somebody's already presenting the concepts for you and anybody can think about their breath. Any, like here's a random example anybody can think about. If you get a grip, know that it can be yours or it can be theirs. If I get an underhook, that can be my underhook and I can be using it to my advantage. Or now that we are connected, you can use it against me. And, and being aware of dominating with the connections is something anybody can apply. You don't just get a two-on-one to get it because now they can use that potentially to reposition or or do something to you the same way an overhook can beat an underhook and but i i like to tell people that and and there could be anything you could just go over the idea of putting more weight on your opponent than the mat when it comes to to pressure right like whatever the concept is there are simple enough concepts where if you actually fucking try and just instead of just totally saying, yeah. yeah when 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 two guys like 
me and you get down the you know there's a rabbit hole in a conversation like this it can it can come across to people that like if you don't just like to think this way and don't like to chase rabbit holes then you can't make use of this you know I, it my job career calling life really is about these concepts and about exploring them very deeply so i'm going to talk about them in a way that seems like that's the case that doesn't mean that everybody who's who needs to make you or who can make use of some concepts needs to have the same depth or the same attachment or the same level of exploration that i have you can take a couple of concepts you know or even one and have it be extremely useful to you so yeah i'm really glad that you brought that up you, we're not trying to make the point that you need to understand this as much as we're trying to but the fact that we're able to enables us to hopefully give you one or two or whatever however many concepts that can still be an accelerator still be a shortcut still be a a point that enhances your game that would just not otherwise be possible if you were trying to collect techniques yeah, that that is that is very true. Like if there's one or two things that you heard that remotely made sense, that is more than enough to apply to so many things. And and that that's the ultimate point. Yeah. If you're drilling a move, you still might need to know, well, this one is one where you grip all the way into the lapel, and this is one where you leave a little slack. We're not telling you to figure this shit out on your own yeah. completely. And you're gonna get that's why the concepts go with the moves, and you still explain the moves. Oh, this C grip seems to work well here. And even if you don't remember, if you just remember that your coach happened to show this one using a C grip instead of a pant grip, so be it. If that's the way you categorize it and use it and you don't fully understand it, you still have concepts that you know. And, and it's it's not as daunting of a task as it sounds. It's freeing. It's invigorating. It's so, it's so fun. And that's what I want to talk about. The last thing um, that I really wanted to bring up is the idea of gamification. And I've gotten to the point where I can we, feel, you know what, can, yeah, you, mind you, know, if you we, say whatever you want to say. Yeah. yeah like if we're going to get into gamification, I'd honestly rather we just do an entire episode. episode on it because that is not something we can just be like, Oh yeah, here's a little bit about it. Like, no, you're that, right. You're right. I've, that is a very deep. And I would say uh, like equally important topic because those are the two, like I tend to be more known for the conceptual stuff but i saw a comment somewhere where and i'm glad this person made it is like you know rob is known for the conceptual stuff but he's like i actually feel that the gamification stuff is equally if not more important in helping people improve uh, their jujitsu because the conceptual stuff as we kind of touched on like if you're cerebral it helps it helps you more like if you're just a total fucking meathead the amount of conceptual understanding you're ever gonna gain is limited there is no limit to how much gamification helps everybody uh and so if we're gonna get into it let's set aside some yeah. time and just get balls deep into gamification well th this is uh this is what i think yeah i think we should definitely circle back eventually and do like cover specific things this is like just a generally talk about the get give people the idea first episode with you that would be just great to kind of gently scratch surfaces or whatever i'll say this and it's it's not even specifically 
to the idea of gamification. It's just a general concept. If I am good at head pressure and I'm good at using my head in a grapple and, and leading with my head and I start learning that your head can be your first line of defense for a takedown. And if I can position my head and then win the head fight, well, what if I'm going against a black belt that isn't head fighting in the gym? So if you have these specific things that you are good at, that you've learned to focus on, that's not just the move, right? Because once you get done the move, where are you? You still need to use more stuff. But these things that you can use almost everywhere, if I'm good at head fighting, I can do it almost everywhere, especially if we start in a neutral position. And I can always do things with that, but I don't need to go further down that. The point is that, you can play games that your opponent doesn't know that you are A, playing, or B, if they do, have ever played before in their life. And because of the conceptual approach that I have, I get to go against black belts, and I swear they might not be the best black belts when I do this. But even people who beat me, who are high, high level, they leave thinking, you know, what in the fuck just went on? They don't understand the last five minutes of their life. It is so different. And I found places today, they felt that you were dominating something. They weren't quite sure what it was, but they knew that you were dominating a game that you were playing and they were losing even while winning. And that is, that is a good little tickle under the nutsack of what, of what gamification can lead to, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, in, in our system, it's fuck your jujitsu is what we call it. Right. And yeah, you know, I've done rounds with people where I'm doing fuck your jujitsu and they don't know what fuck your jujitsu is. And they're just like, what the hell happened in that round? Uh, but yeah, let's, let's kind of, let's yes. maybe leave it there and we can, like I said, let's get balls deep into that topic on another occasion. Exactly. So, uh, Real quick, I know I'm going to put some stuff in the uh, info. People can find things easily when they go to your Island Top Team Instagram. There's the BJJ Concepts website. What do you want to plug? I I strongly, like I said, I've been BJJ Concepts. There are months where I'm like, I haven't even looked at this thing this month, but I circle back to it and I'm just like, I I just, I've been a member for, God, maybe maybe two years now. And uh, even if there are times where I don't go through it, I'm like, it's worth it just to stay on in this loop. And you could cancel whenever as well. So at least I, yep. you know, yeah, that's the case. So yeah, yeah, I, totally. Yeah. And, awesome. and thanks for supporting the site. I'm always, I'm actually, I'm kind of blown away by how successful it's been. Cause I still think of myself as a, you can, a dork on an Island off the coast of Vancouver in, in British Columbia, Canada. It's like, why does anybody listen to me about jujitsu? But it's obviously resonating really well with people. So I'm grateful to you and to everybody that subscribes. If you're interested, yeah, check out bjjconcepts.net. Uh, one thing I do like to mention if I remember to, which I did in any of the podcasts that I do is we have a visiting student program at our Academy, uh, which is basically, uh, it's an open invitation to anybody from anywhere on the planet. If you want to come here one week, you can stay at my place for free. You can train at my academy for free. Um, please don't show up out of the blue. Contact us. Uh, if you go to the academy website, islandtopteam.com, you can email um, and, or, you know, if you even get a hold of me through Instagram, however you get a hold of us, uh, we'll schedule you to come out and visit. Uh, and it's just a little kind of pay it forward sort of thing. I've had a lot of 
support and good fortune uh, in the world of jujitsu. I've had a lot of support from family and friends that have made it possible for me to train uh, in places. And so I'm trying to do my best to share that. We have there are tons of people from all over the world to come and visit us uh, on the regular. They, they stay for free. They train for free. There are there have yet to be any bodies hidden in my backyard as a result of this. So uh, it's something that, you know, if you want to do a bit of uh, digging on social media and see all the people who have visited us, um, it's something that I'm really proud of. And it's, you know, we really, uh, we welcome visitors from all over the world. So if you want to do that, if you want to visit us, uh, I highly encourage it. Come check us out. We love visitors uh, and we love sharing our, our jujitsu with, with everybody. Awesome. Well, Rob, it's been great. You are probably the first person I mentioned when it comes to outside inspiration for my jujitsu game and why I grapple the way I do. And uh, it was great talking to you. I'm sure we'll have more conversations. And yeah, great time. Thank you very much. Everybody check out Rob. I don't know. This is the first time recording a call this. Oh, no way. I'm going to stop recording. So the podcast is ending in three, two, and it is over. Stop recording.